0: Let's pray together, church. Our fathers, we come before you. We come before you in great hopes that you will speak to us this morning through your word. We pray, oh God, that you give us the grace of understanding and comprehending who you are. And I pray, oh God, that this not be a service in which we are distracted and thinking about after church, but we are here to give our attention to the God of the universe. You deserve it, O oh God. Receive it. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Danny was a young man who... well, he was being bullied. He was being mistreated by friends at school. But, you know, some of it was brought upon himself. He made some bad decisions and uh, did some mischief of his own. And Danny got sick of being physically beat up. So he decided he wanted to take things into his own hands. And he thought revenge would be the best way to make things right. So Danny asked someone, well, he was the maintenance man. If he could help him learn to fight back. And the maintenance man brought him to his place and said, Well, sure, I can teach you to fight, but first, I need you to wax my car. This is how you do it wax on, wax off. So Danny obliged. Then, Mr. Miyagi brought him back to his place and said, but next I need you to paint a fence. This is how you paint a fence. Up, down, up, down. Danny, in his frustration, said, when are you going to teach me to fight? And Mr. Miyagi says, as soon as you sand the floor. So at the end of the day, Danny got his revenge by winning the tournament, and Mr. Miyagi got his revenge by his pupil winning the tournament. Of course, you know, that is the 80s movie, The Karate Kid. And what we remember is that Mr. Miyagi had bigger plans. When Danny didn't quite understand what was going on, the teacher did. He was teaching him something all along that was bigger than just sanding the floor, painting the fence, and waxing the car. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Exodus. Last week, we looked at the answer to Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And this week, we hopefully can... At least add to that. I don't know that we'll finish ever defining who God is, even through eternity. But we can add to who is the Lord this morning. And I want you to keep in mind that as the Lord is, is executing these ten plagues, that he is teaching a valuable lesson that is bigger than what Pharaoh and his court and even all of Israel can understand of who God is. There's a much bigger picture going on than what you're seeing with frogs and, well, I'll let you fill in the rest, with the plagues that we'll see today. As is customary in our service, I will begin with our verse of the year. And this year we're doing together. We're talking about being together in 2022. We've done a good job of that. We will be together in 2022 very soon. Um, In two Sundays, we will, by God's grace, have people on our campus that will be uh, celebrating and, and having fun with games, but also walking through a gospel presentation through the ten plagues here in our sanctuary building. First John chapter one verse five through seven. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in what darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? It cleanses us from all sin. Praise the Lord. Anybody been cleansed out there? Miranda, it wasn't the water that cleansed you. It was the Spirit of God that cleansed you. Who is God. You may say, well, why are we in 2022 studying this? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we come to church? Why does it matter? I can, I can do church at home. I can, I can do what I want to do. And we respond to that. My response to that is God has commanded us to gather together for a reason. So first of all, if we love God, we want to obey him and gather together as the people because It's not just about what I can do at home. It's about what we can do together. And as we come together and read this scripture, we understand that that doing it together and worshiping God together is something we do better together than we do alone. We need each other. And the people around us need each other. So as we think about that, who is God? Who is God? I, I reminded you last week that sometimes we have to come read the Bible and we have to say, well, you know, sometimes we need to fix our view of God. Because uh, I shared an illustration this morning in our Sunday school class. I can describe somebody with a beard who's a man who is kind of slender. And you might be thinking I'm talking about me. But I'm not. I'm talking about Austin. And I didn't tell you that that, I was, that this man was much better looking than the guy on the podium, Right? We have to correct. Sometimes some details are not enough to get an accurate picture of who we're talking about. And that's kind of what Pharaoh had to do. Moses is giving him picture by picture who God is. And moment by moment he's walking through giving him snapshots of this is the character and nature of God. But what's more. Is God is going to, as we see in Exodus chapter 7 verse 3, God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart throughout this experience in order to continue communicating who he is. Exodus 7 verse 3 says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, the people The children of my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Read that with me again. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring my people. And bring out of the people, out of Israel from among them. All right. Last week. Let me back up. The end game. God is teaching, he's painting the fence, he's sanding the floor, he's teaching them something bigger. He's teaching them who he is through these acts of great judgment that he's bringing upon them. Verse 5 tells us very clearly, that they should know that I am the Lord. So last week, if you were here, you're on the spot. What is the first act of power that God showed Pharaoh and the people of Egypt? Got a little hint there. It is turning the Nile to to blood. I said, if you hold up the finger one, it looks like a long river. All right? There you go, Caleb. Number one is the river to blood. Number two was what? The frog skin coat. I told you, it looks like a hanger. The number two looks like a hanger. And I looked it up last night. I showed Allison for proof. There is a frog skin coat out there. You can look it up. It's on Etsy. Camouflage Looks like a frog. You got it. Number two, second plague. God sent frogs and he sent frogs everywhere to harass the people and show his power over the God of the frogs. Remember, Egypt, these are all things about about minimizing the power of the gods of Egypt. They're sacred frogs, which you see. You see jewelry. You see statues of an ancient Egypt of the frog. It was special. It was sacred to them. God said, I am Lord of the frog. And he sent the frogs. What's the third plague? The gnats. Remember, frogs eat gnats. The gnats. The gnats were everywhere. They were annoying. They were possibly biting. They were aggravating. If you've ever been fishing, I talked about that. They're so annoying. God sent the plague of gnats. And then the fourth plague is? Flies. Remember, gnats, not in real life, but gnats grow up to be flies. Um, that's, I'm not an evolutionist. That's not moving that direction. But what I am saying is uh, that the, the, in our way of remembering, frogs eat gnats. Gnats grow up to be flies. So fo- flies is the fourth plague. God, again, is showing them the great power of who he is. And then finally, the last one we talked about last week was number five. And five is what? Five stock. You got it. The livestock, the curse on the livestock, they were sick, they were dying. And uh, remember, this was uh, always against Egypt and their holy things. Look at Numbers 33.4. Uh, we talked about this last week. While the Egyptians were burying all of their firstborn, and yeah, this is after the tenth plague, of course, whom the Lord had struck down among them on their gods, he also executed judgment. So God is using these plagues to execute judgment, not only upon the people of Israel, but upon their false gods, their gods that are not the most high. God, they're fake gods. And he was showing his power and demonstrating over them. All right, so we get to number six. One is what? Help me out. Nile River. Number two is? Frogs. Number three is? Gnats. Number four is? Number five is? Five stock. All right. You get number six. Now, I want you to think about the number six. Now, this one's kind of nasty. But think about the number six. And I want you to put a little dot right in the middle of the six. That's like a boil. The bottom of the six is a boil. So this is the plague of boils. Number six looks like a boil with a little nasty boil at the bottom of the six. Uh, Boils. Why did God send boil? Now, look at this. Look at how he executes the boils. Exodus chapter 9, verse 8, the sixth plague. God, again, is showing who he is. God is God over health. God is God over the well-being of people. Exodus 9, 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take take what, church? Handfuls of what? From where? Now, what do you make in a kiln? Pottery. Pottery. What else do you think in ancient Egypt they would have made in a kiln that were probably pretty common to most Hebrews even? Bricks. Now, I don't know for sure, but here's what I'm thinking. And I'm not the only one. This is not my original idea. I read this. But this makes really good sense. Moses takes the soot from the kiln. That the Egyptians were forced to make these bricks in and go find their own straw to bake these bricks. And he takes these ashes of the suffering, representing the suffering of his people, and he throws them up in the air. And soon thereafter, the people, Pharaoh's people, began to suffer. You see the imagery? The suffering of Egypt rises from the ashes... And begins to afflict those who are causing suffering upon God's people. Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of the Pharaoh. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 27 gives us another illustration of this. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt. And with tumors and scabs and itch. Which you cannot be healed so another description of what was going on likely and that was that the lord had caused affliction now we think about this and we we have a view of god that said god is the nice guy in heaven right And we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school too but here is god afflicting a people with sores with itch with scab with things that are very much not pleasant why would god do such a thing Isn't God nice? Well, That's something we have to wrestle with. God is God. And this is where we sometimes, we, we, we come before God and we have a, an understanding of God. And oftentimes it's built by our friends or, or our culture rather than what the scripture teaches. And this gives us a view of God that may not be what the Bible is saying. And to be honest, sometimes people like their own view of God better than what the Bible says God is. But we don't get to make those decisions. And this is where we must come to the scripture and say, okay, God is a God who is willing to inflict judgment upon a people. Now, let me give you another perspective. For likely hundreds of years, these same Egyptians, this same Pharaoh, this same nation has sorely mistreated a people among them. Flesh and blood humanity have treated them like animals or even worse than we treat our animals here in this country. And God is saying, if you're going to do that, I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. I'm going to execute what, church? Justice. And I'm going to bring back exactly in the same way what you have done to me. And to my people. Because if you've done it unto my people, you've done it unto me. And that's what the Lord's doing. Number one, the Nile River. Number two, help me out. Frogs. Number three, gnats. Number four, number five, number six, boils. All right, let's get to number seven. Number seven. You can draw number seven. And uh, you can even look at kind of our picture up here. Number seven, the way I remember this one, and I, I like this picture. Uh, that seven, if you look on the, the little one on the right, you can almost draw a seven inside of lightning. Yeah, you, know, you got the kind of the jagged little keep drawing around. Uh, lightning is a bunch of sevens. You just keep drawing sevens and you draw some good lightning, right? So number seven is the storm. And it doesn't say lightning in the scripture, but it does say thunder. And, and we know where thunder comes from. Uh, oftentimes it's that lightning. So that's a wait for us to remember. Uh, let me read it to you. From, uh, and, and this is from Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Uh, this is the longest recorded speech that Moses gives to Pharaoh. So this is the longest one that's recorded. Let me read it to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the Lord that you're trying to figure out who he is, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself. And and the Hebrew is kind of interesting there, but it it literally says I'm going to send them on your heart. And on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is what church? There's none like me in all of the earth. I am God and I'm God alone. I am not the God of frogs. I'm the God of it all. Verse 15. For by now, there's a reason he didn't do it until now. But for by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. And you would have been cut off from the earth. In other words, I could have just killed you and wiped you out. But I didn't. And so church, why? Why didn't God just kill Pharaoh? And kill the land of Egypt and open up the earth like he did to the sons of Korah and swallow them. Why didn't he do that? Wax off. Wax off, Daniel said. Because he had a bigger picture in mind. God was doing something bigger than just destroying Pharaoh. He was using Pharaoh as an instrument to show something greater. Something we need to see today. God is God. Verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed where? You hear it? I didn't just swallow you up, Pharaoh, because I have a job to do, and you're involved. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such has never been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Let me tell you a little bit about hail. We watched a video, a science video at our house this week about Uh, Dropping pennies from the entire state building. Did you know if you dropped a penny from the Empire State Building, it would kill somebody? It's not true. By the way, terminal velocity stops that penny. It's not strong enough. It doesn't go fast enough. But what we did learn is that hail dropping from the sky, the terminal velocity on that is far different than a penny or something uh, shaped different or lighter. Hail does serious damage. And the bigger the hail, the more damage it can do. Now, imagine the hail that God had said, like you've never seen before, is going to be falling upon the nation of Egypt. Now, think about Egypt. Remember, go back to, to Joseph. Remember Joseph, right? What were Pharaoh's dreams about when Joseph was interpreting them? Do you remember what the dreams were about? What were they about, Colby? They were about famine in the land. And what did Joseph recommend that Pharaoh do? Store up the what? Grain. The grain. Why? So that people could eat. You know what hail does to, to grain in a field? It destroys. it. Especially massive hail. So you think about this. This is God saying, remember, God warned Egypt through Joseph. I'm going to save your people. And now, 430 years later, God is saying, oh, I, I saved your crops last time. You know what I'm going to do this time? I'm going to take them away. Because you are depending upon your abundance to, to divorce yourself from me, the God who lives. And there's a whole lot to that in there. I mean, that's a principle that we can probably relate to today, can't we? Sometimes God has to divorce us from the things that we depend upon when they draw us away from him. Am I the only one? You've ever experienced that. God sometimes takes away things that we idolize or treasure in order to draw us near to him. And it might be our health. It might be our security. It might be relationships. But God does that. Let me keep going. Now, therefore, talking to Pharaoh, now, therefore, send to get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field who is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. God was so gracious. He even warned them. If you'll believe and listen to my voice, you'll be spared from the wrath that is to come. Can we talk about that for a minute? God's grace, Tristan, he said, if you'll believe, you will be spared from the wrath to come. You know, God's done that again in another way, hasn't he? Hadn't he, Brother Stephen? God has sent his message. If you will repent and believe in Jesus Christ the Lord, if you will humble yourself, bow to your knees, enter the kingdom of God... Exalt Jesus Christ. Make him your God and your Lord. You will be spared the wrath that is to come. And so this is the message that this church believes in. This is why we want to share with all the kids and all the families that will be here. If you believe that Jesus Christ saves sinners who repent, you will be saved from the wrath that is to come. That's the message we believe in. Amen, church? Is that the message we, we believe? That God is a gracious God, but he's a just God. That God is a God who will bring wrath. He's brought it in the flood. But He saved by grace Noah and his family. He brought it in the plagues. But He saved by grace the people of Israel. He's, he will bring it again. And he will save by grace the people who believe in him. Mind you, not just people who believe he exists. But people in the kingdom of God. People who are born again, as Miranda has shown us this morning, who are willing to say, I do believe I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to represent that I am now new. My identity is changed and praise God. I'm going to live a new life, a life that is my old life is gone. My new new life is here. God gave them grace. Verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord, love it. Among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord, it's coming, y'all, the same thing is coming," left his slaves and his livestock in the field. I continue, verse 23. "Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail. And what? And fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been seen in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. When God sends hail, he sends hail. Number seven is what? It's the storm. It's the hail. Watch the response, though, of Pharaoh and of Moses. All right. Verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. Finally, Pharaoh's going to realize he's sinned. He's going to relent. Yes. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Moses, plead with the Lord, for there has been. Enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Here we go. It only took seven. Right? 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord and thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Is the earth the Lord's? You better believe it. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. So here's Pharaoh saying he's sinned, saying God's right. But Moses recognizes it's not real. It's not true. Have you ever heard somebody say something and then do something that contradicts what they say? Somebody in our class, it might have been you, Troy, said this morning, said, you know, we're detectives. Moms have to be good detectives. You've seen it, right? Somebody say something and realize, well, what they're saying is not accurate. And that's what's going on. This is why we as a church, when we do a baptism, it, 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 and, and when we ask, when someone asks to join the church, it, it's a process, there's more than just saying, I want to be baptized or I want to join the church. There's, there's an examination that goes on. There's, and it's not an interrogation. It's an examination. It's asking questions. It's, it's talking through things. It's saying, all right, have you seen evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Have you noticed that, that you're different? That you're acting differently? That your speech is different? That you're treating people differently? Have you noticed that life is Is different than it was before God changed your heart. That there is a a demonstrable difference between pre Christ life and post Christ life. Something happened, and now you're thinking differently, and now you're acting differently. There's something that is changed. Because there are many pharaohs out there. And and, it's not foolproof, y'all, I can tell you. I've baptized people who have, months later, said, I don't want to be any part of this. It's heartbreaking, but it happens. And we do the best we can to, to judge what's going on. But there are instances where some people say things, and maybe you've even said, in fact, Miranda told me, She'd been baptized before. Years ago. Anybody in this room ever been baptized more than once? More than ten times? It's not always what you say. And it's a heart transformation. And that's what's going on here. Moses notices Pharaoh's, he's not changed. When I see it, I'll believe it. Have you seen it in yourself? Do you know? Do you know you're a Christian? All right. Number one. Come on, y'all, y'all be used to this by now. Number one. River, number two. Number three. Number four. Five. Six. Nasty boils in the bottom there. Number seven. The storm, the hail. Number eight. There you go. All right. You've got it up there. It's not quite right. You need to turn the locust on his side. All right? And then you can find the eight. It's his, it's his eyeballs, right? So you got the eight. If you imagine a locust wearing glasses, maybe you can do that. That's the number eight. That's his, his eyes. Locusts. Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses. Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Why did he do that? He's got a bigger plan in mind. For I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I might show these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them. That you may know that what? Got it. Wax on, wax off, Danielson. I'm showing you something bigger. And I'm using these signs to demonstrate to you who I am. Who is the Lord? You want to know? Sometimes it's hard to hear who the Lord is. I'm warning you. Even Pharaoh's advisors saw what was going on. All right? Watch this in chapter 10, verse 7. Just a few verses later. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Oh, let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Give it up, Pharaoh. Sometimes we underestimate the hard heart, don't we? And I say that. I'm an optimist. You know, I believe the best in people most of the time. And then there are not the optimists. I'm not going to point any fingers at you out there. I'm not even going to look at you. But I, I oftentimes, I want the best of people, so I project the best upon them. But y'all, the heart of man, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. And apart from Christ, outside of a rebirth of our hearts, we are deceitful. We, pre- we present ourselves as one thing when we're really not. And even after we become a Christian, well, oftentimes we fall into that. There's a There's a... Problem deep inside. And and Pharaoh was not backing down. Chapter 10 verse 14. The locusts came up all over. The land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts with glasses. As had never been seen before. Nor will ever be seen again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all of the plants and all of the land and all of the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Hey, Pharaoh, there's not going to be a harvest this year. And that's a big deal. There's a famine in the land, and it's caused by none other than God himself. Verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. <laughs> he doesn't quite get it yet, does he? And plead with the Lord your God. Only to remove this death from me. What does Pharaoh want? He wants his land to be cleaned up. He doesn't quite get. That there's a problem between he and God. It's a bigger problem than locusts. So he went from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind to a very strong west wind. Which lifted the locusts. And drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord did what? He hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go. You know, this illustration of God hardening Pharaoh's heart is. It's used oftentimes uh, throughout the rest of scripture and the New Testament. Paul alludes to it. What is God doing here? And this is where we have to step back and say, you know, if we can understand Karate Kid, that helps us understand what the Lord is doing. He's doing something bigger than what it appears. God is demonstrating that to know who God is, is more important than to have crops. Okay? To know who God is, is more important than to have children. Children. To know who God is, is to be saved from the wrath that is to come. And so Christian, or actually anybody, with all of my heart, I express to you, I don't don't attempt to define God. The Bible does a very good job at doing that. What I do attempt to tell you is read your Bible, understand who God is, the nature of who he is. Not based on what you think or what you want, but based on what you read. And understand that God has graciously given an opportunity to each and every one of us to be made right with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And there is, the Bible says, no other name under heaven by which men will be saved other than through humbling yourself before Jesus Christ and coming into his kingdom. Number 9. Well, number 1. 2. 3. 4. 5. 6. 7. 8. 9. How do you remember darkness? I just remember it was always it's always darkest before the light comes. And the light is going to be the Passover when they're released. It's always dark before the light comes. So number nine is that darkness. Plague of darkness. Throughout the Bible, darkness is used as an, an allegory for judgment, for the lack of light. Darkness is the place you don't want to be. Uh, Remember when Jesus is telling parables, uh, he says, cast the worst, worthless servant into the outer darkness. It's described as a place where God's judgment is going to be because there's a lack of light. It's a place of aloneness. It's a place of where you don't enjoy the beauty of what God has created. Darkness is a place. There's a reason children are afraid of the dark often. It's an unknown, scary place. But it's also a place where we are attentive, isn't it? And when you're in darkness, you can't de- depend on your eyes to help you out so much. So you're using other senses to hear. Last night, uh, Titus had some teeth pulled this week. Last night, I woke up, and, and I, you know, I'm a very deep sleeper. Allison is not. I woke up, and Allison was talking to somebody in the room, and it wasn't me. And I looked over and and I thought it was... I thought it was Abby. What's Abby doing in here? It wasn't Abby. It was Titus. His mouth hurt. And he was in the room. But I couldn't tell who it was. Because darkness. Darkness is a place. Look how Jude describes it. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority... In other words, the rebellious angels... But left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy what? I do have it up there. Under gloomy darkness. God is judging even the angels in gloomy darkness. That's how he describes the judgment of angels. So in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be a darkness over the land, a darkness to be felt. You get it? A darkness to be felt. A darkness they're going to experience. Not a darkness that's, that's darker than normal, but a darkness to be felt. And it's so hard letting go for Pharaoh. Verse 24, 25 of chapter 10. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Your little ones may go with you. Only let your flocks and herds remain. Oh, so close, Pharaoh. And this is, yeah, a lot of people relate to this. I want to be a Christian, but I'm not going to get rid of this. This is precious to me. And we see this all over our culture, y'all. I can be a Christian and be this. I can be a Christian and do these things. I can, my my true identity is this, but I'm going to add Christianity to it. And y'all, that's fine. You can say all those things. But it doesn't add up to what the scripture teaches. Jesus called for abandon. He called for surrender. Not add me in to your current life. He said, I'm going to reorder your life altogether. And you just go read Jesus' encounters and see if you agree with that statement. Read the Gospels. Jesus called people to go and sin no more. He called them to abandon the things that were holding them back and to come. And and Pharaoh just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So, next week, we'll pick up with the 10th plague, which is the Passover. But here's what I want to ask you God is working in ways that we don't always. Understand. He's teaching us things that sometimes we don't comprehend in the moment. And, and I'm going to tell you this, God is even better than Mr. Miyagi. He's even better. The question is, are you teachable? Are you listening? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your son, for rescuing us from what is to come. Thank you for the grace that you've shown to us, God. And I pray pray that you move in people's souls, that you bring life this morning, that you draw people to submission and, and bring people into your kingdom. And as we've seen this morning through Miranda's example, there is a transformation. Oh God, save souls. Transform souls. We love you, O Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to our time of response.